6.15 on Seattle's Morning News. Colleen O'Brien with you. Sully and his cowbell are at the ready when we hit the max $15 toll, which you don't think is going to happen today. Not unless we have an accident, so let's okay. not keep that. Uh, my best guess is Tuesday. Okay. Monday's a wild card because okay. you never know what the traffic does on Monday, but Tuesday's usually my... Uh, that's what I'm betting on. All right. If you're a 405 or 167 commuter, stick around for 645. We're going to let you choose the sound he uses when we hit the max toll. Is it the cowbell? I don't know. We have a lot Barbecue of Barbecue Bob options. from Darrington really uh, is down with the cowbell. Okay. We can always use more options, cowbell. Though. Don't rule out the options. Coming up at 635, our resident historian Felix Spinell stopping by for another edition of All Over the Map. But right now, as we do on every Friday, we talk with CBS Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent and moderator of Face the Nation, Margaret Brennan. I wanted to begin by asking Margaret about the latest attacks in Gaza. Yesterday on the TVs we have here in the studio in front of us, I watched it play out as uh, Gazans were gathering for food and water and the uh, inter- uh, Israeli Defense Forces opened fire, more than 100 people dead in that. So I asked her to catch us up on what happened. It underscores the degree to which civil order has broken down inside the small portion of the 25-mile Gaza Strip that Palestinians have been pushed into during this war. Um, 1.4 million of them in the south of that country living in tents without access to food and clean water in large part. Uh, The White House has been in nearly every single readout that you can get your hand on from what Joe Biden tells Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, he asked for more aid to be let in. He talks to the Egyptian president about that. But those land border crossings are uh, between Egypt and Israel are controlled by Israel. Same with Jordan. And there's a lot of aid that's being sent that's not being allowed into the Gaza Strip. So it's a trickle and it is not nearly matching the problem. And humanitarian aid organizations have been warning about this. And that leads us to exactly what happened yesterday. IDF says that their soldiers fired on civilians after firing first a warning shot at a mob and then feeling that their lives were endangered. Um, by starving people who were looking for food. Uh, Palestinian uh, authority sources there say it's like 700 people who were injured. But this just brings us back to the absolutely devastating humanitarian conditions right now. And there's a growing number of people uh, particularly Democrats, who are raising alarms about it and saying that the United States should object more loudly. The president of France said uh, it was he was um, indignant at how Israeli soldiers targeted Palestinians. We'll talk about this with Ro Khanna, California congressman, Sunday. And, and what is his role in, in this? Yeah, well, as you as you know, a lot of progressive Democrats in particular have been, of which Ro Khanna is one, have been calling for a ceasefire, something that the Biden administration does not support. The Biden administration is trying to negotiate uh, a short-term six-week pause in fighting with the hopes it ultimately leads to an end to the war. But Israel has said, and the prime minister of Israel was on my program last Sunday saying he's going to go ahead with um, further offensives into Gaza, regardless of whether there's a hostage deal. So progressive Democrats like Ro Khanna are calling on just just stop it. Just the United States should use more leverage. Joe Biden should speak out more. But even though Ro Khanna is echoing those sentiments, he is still endorsing Joe Biden for president, something that in the state of Michigan, you saw some Democrats uh, saying they wouldn't 
uh, vote for Biden at this point. They remain uncommitted. We'll see on Super Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, whether we see a similar sort of boycott vote in states like Minnesota. It seems being the largest funder of Israel's uh, weapons that the president should have a, a bigger earpiece in Benjamin Netanyahu's ear. And it seems he's lost contact with Netanyahu. Well, it certainly seems that there is, as I put very bluntly to the prime minister last Sunday, um, a lack of confidence in Benjamin Netanyahu as a leader, um, both within the U.S. Congress and within the White House. Um, There is steadfast support for Israel, period. Steadfast support for its intelligence services and its military uh, within the Biden White House. But there's growing frustration with the leader of that country um, and the choices he is making right now and whether they ultimately endanger the long-term security of his own country and U.S. national security priorities. Certainly regional allies in Jordan and Egypt are saying the amount of public outcry on the streets due to the civilian deaths is is so loud that it, it, it risks political instability in other countries as well. So there's a broad concern that this war won't stay contained. Mm. Uh, of course, for the prime minister of Israel, he says he's only focused on his own country's priorities and wiping out Hamas. We are talking with CBS chief foreign affairs correspondent and moderator of Face the Nation, Margaret Brennan, as we do each Friday. I wanted to ask her, too, about the general polling for President Biden and former President Trump. It seems the opinion of Democrats surrounding President Biden is beginning to waver. This enthusiasm gap, this frustration that there isn't more momentum is something a lot of Democrats are openly talking about. I'm certain Ro Khanna will talk about that with me this Sunday. We also have um, the question of enthusiasm for Donald Trump. I mean, in that border appearance that you referenced with both Joe Biden and Donald Trump going to the border, different points, 300 miles from each other, their messages were quite different. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, again, had that I alone can fix it approach. And then you had Joe Biden saying, actually, in this country, you need Congress to help legislate and we have a bill and I will sign it into law. Please let the Republicans vote for it in the House. And in fact, Donald Trump, you can come stand with me beside me if we can just get this done. So very different messages. Um, Not clear which one actually is resonating right now if people are taking in the information. Um, But there is this Senate deal that would surge funding to border security that would make it harder to enter across the southern border and really uh, update U.S. law in a way that hasn't been done in decades. And yet, because of the presidential election year, Donald Trump has made clear he doesn't want it passed. Right. So let's talk about that spending bill. It's partial and it kind of kicks the can down the road once again. Where's the hope here? Well, uh, that short-term stopgap funding bill that was approved overnight will avoid a short-term shutdown that could have happened this weekend. This is just about paying America's bills, sort of, you know, keeping the lights on um, sort of thing. This is exactly what House Republicans said they wouldn't do anymore. Um, But Democrats did themselves for years. Uh, It it is the failure to come to a bipartisan agreement on spending priorities, on budgets, regular order, instead just doing this, well, we'll extend it one more week, we'll extend it two more weeks, that kind of thing, rather than make tough decisions and rather than lead on it. It is a reflection of the level of dysfunction in Congress right now but it is at least not a government shutdown. That is a different question, but same sort of set of problems in terms of um, lack of uh, cohesive 
approach to things within the parties. Uh, the Republican Party has a lot of infighting, and that is making the national security priority set for helping Israel, helping Ukraine, and helping Taiwan stall. Um, the Speaker of the House still has not said that he will put forward that bill to fund those conflicts to help Ukraine, even though he says he wants to. So it's just a, a leadership crisis in many ways. How is Mike Johnson's job? Is it still shaky? At the moment, it seems like um, there is not an active attempt to oust him through a motion to vacate. Only one person needs to put forward that measure that they would need more to vote for it. Um, it is, though, a sword sort of hanging over his head at every moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these more extreme elements of his party mean they get more of a voice. They they aren't the majority, but they have a very loud voice and influence. And that remains the case until they change the rules and make it harder to oust a leader. And with this short-term spending bill in place, what's the next deadline? Uh, I think it's the 22nd. Uh, of March. Um, So, you know, these things just keep rolling over. That is CBS Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent and Moderator of Face the Nation Sundays on CBS, Margaret Brennan. We talk to her every Friday. In the nation's northwest corner is Washington. An evergreen playground blessed by an unusual Our resident historian Felix Bennell joins us every Friday morning for All Over the Map. This is a quick look at stories behind local places and things. And this week, the handful of spots along the shores of Puget Sound for which NOAA Weather Radio often gives wind speed reports. Yeah, and I can't tell if March came in like a lamb or a lion today, but late February was very lion-y we during the windstorm the other day. We were about that this morning. I couldn't figure out the it's, order of that. We're going to have to figure that out. Yeah, so I tuned in NOAA Weather Radio during that windstorm. Now, when I first listened to NOAA Weather Radio back in the 1970s as a weird little kid, the voices were actual humans. Local staffers would record a forecast, list of recent temperatures and that sort of stuff, and then they'd tape it. They'd play that tape on a loop until a new one was recorded. Back in the 90s, they automated the voice part, and so it lost a bit of its charm, in my opinion. Now, that first automated voice was nicknamed Paul, and this is what uh, it, or I guess he, sounded like. A slow-moving storm system will move across the northern Great Lakes region today and tonight. It's a little bit like getting your weather information from, from Stephen Hawking. Stephen? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say <laughs> could that be, could sounds... be the same brand of voice software. Anyway, wow. When I tuned in the other day, I heard the new and improved Paul, which I, which I guess or who dates to 2016. Paul's reading of the list of five locations for wind speeds. That's what got my attention. Inland water wind reports in us. Smith Island, South 24. Point Wilson, South 8. Point No Point. Wind Calm, West Point, South 34. Point Robinson, South 24. Almost as charming as Nick Allard, you know? It sounds Um, a little more human. Yeah, yeah. But why those five specific locations, you're wondering? If you're not wondering, flip over to another station right now and come back in a few minutes. Burning questions. um, (laughs) (laughs) So those places all have something in common, which I learned yesterday from our very own Ted Beaner. And that is they're all historic locations of lighthouses originally built by the federal government back in the 19th century. That's why there's automated wind instruments there in 2024 that are looped into the NOAA Weather Radio automated system. I want to go through some of those names, just do the origins of them very quickly here, kind of in the same order as the wind speed uh, reports we heard. Smith Island is west of Whidbey Island, the east end of Strait of Juan de Fuca. It's now a state aquatic reserve that's off limits to the public. It's believed to have been named for a Hudson's Bay Company staffer. Named Smith. Oh. Okay. All right. The first uh, name is Smith? Well, they don't know the first name. Okay. They just know the last name. Okay. I was like, that's an odd first name. Point Wilson is a Fort Warden near Port Townsend. It was named in 1792 by Captain Vancouver for his friend, Captain George Wilson of the Royal Navy, who fought against the French during the American Revolutionary War. What a nice a thing to do for Dirty enemy, a yeah. yeah. Lighthouse was first built there in 1879, rebuilt in 1913. 
Point No Point is near the northern tip of the Kitsap, uh, Kitsap Peninsula, just west across the water from the southern tip of Whidbey Island. It was named in 1841 by U.S. Naval Commander Charles Wilkes during the famous Wilkes Expedition. Perhaps after one of ten other Point No Points that are on the list of the uh, U.S. Board of Geographic Names around the U.S. I want to know where they came up with that. Well, the idea is that from a distance, it looks more prominent than it actually is when you get there. Point, okay. no point. It's sort of a, a geographic joke is what Edmund Meany right. called it 100 yeah. years ago. And the guy said, what's, what's your point? Yeah, it's, yeah exactly. And that, what people it's often, often say to me today. after this segment, um, now the, the, <laughs> the lighthouse of Point, no point was built in 1879. Now, West Point in Seattle's Magnolia neighborhood is at the far northwest part of Discovery Park. And it was named in 1841 once again by U.S. Naval Commander Charles Wilkes because it's a point and it's a point that points west. And it's a very pointy point. If you've ever seen a photograph of it, it it's, it's a point. It deserves the name point. Okay. And it is very west. And the lighthouse, which is still there, built in 1881. Point Robinson, a.k.a. Robinson Point, for the purists, if you look in the actual list here. That's on Vashon Island or Maury Island there. It's right across from Des Moines. That's how it's pronounced, right, Chris? Des Moines? <laughs> it was named after uh, R.P. Robinson, the purser's steward on the USS Vincennes, lead ship of the Wilkes Expedition, led by, everybody say it with me, Charles Wilkes. And the lighthouse was built in 1885, rebuilt in 1915. Now, later on at My Northwest, I'm going to have a vintage nautical chart with all these locations, information about the lighthouses and everything. But if you're familiar with the BBC shipping forecast, which is this thing they give four times a day in the UK, yeah. it's people, it's like it has a cult following where they name, they give all the wind suites. We're not quite there yet with this forecast for the Puget Sound area, but I'm hoping we can kind of build up its, its reputation and create just as big a cult following for the inland waterway wind reports. Sure. It's almost comforting to hear that computerized it, that, voice. That BBC yeah. shipping forecast is very much that way. And it's actually human being does it in the UK oh. and it goes on and on and all the names are very funny and everything. We only have five names on this list, but Maybe we'll see if we can, can get more to it. Maybe you can be the wind speed voice one day. I, or Nick Allard. I always think that oh, when I think yeah, of weather, I think of Nick Allard. That'd be a good one. That'd be a good he's, one. He's got us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Felix. Now on Seattle's Morning News, Colleen O'Brien with you, Chris Sullivan at the traffic desk. Felix Bennell still hanging around. We like that. He's our laugh track during the show. He's got a great laugh. And our producer, David Burbank, standing by. This is a big day, Sully. Yeah, it is. What's happening? Well, today is the day that the max tolls on 167 and 405 go up. There are, the max is now going to be $15. So I need to come up with something uh, for you know when it hits that because I usually go do 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 to hit ten dollars. And let me I got to explain to everybody why why am I doing this? Why am I highlighting such you know something that's kind of negative? And the reason is is when the four hundred five express toll lanes went in, the experts were like, oh, it'll never hit the ten dollar mark. Only in the most rarest of occasions. So when it started hitting it every day, I kind of wanted to give a little little brother like needling to those like really it's only going to hit it. Really? Really? Because it hits it every day. At, at about the same time every about day. About the too. same time every yeah. day. So it's kind of like a little reminder to the experts who said, oh, it's never going to hit it. By the way, the experts this time, it'll never hit $15. I actually have a soundbite of that from the Washington State Transportation Commission that I will keep for when it does. Absolutely. Every day, starting Tuesday, so most likely. for the <laughs> listeners who might not take 405 or 167 or missed why the toll is increasing to $15, can you explain the function of the toll lanes and why 10 and $15 is necessary? So the toll lanes basically took over the HOV lanes, and they allowed people to buy their way in who didn't meet the HOV requirement. It allowed people to buy their way as a solo into those lanes. The overall goal is to move as many vehicles as possible, many as people as possible is what they say now, so that the, those lanes are 45 miles an hour, 90% of the time. That's what the, you're supposed to do. But the problem is... 
$10 isn't pricing enough people out of those lanes to get that kind of speed. They're bogged down. They're just as busy as the regular lanes, especially from Linwood down through Bellevue. So they're like, okay, we're going to raise the price. Maybe people who could afford 10 can't afford 15 and we're going to price them out. It's not about raising money for the corridor for to pay back anything. It's to raise it so you will decide, yeah, that, that, that extra five bucks, that's a latte, that's a beer. Yeah. No, I'm going to stick in and regular congestion. And can go faster. Correct, or people who can afford to buy in. I've heard that some, you know, tolling systems like this, you know, I think I heard on the John and Sherry show yesterday that in some locations it's gone up as much as $60 yeah, under the same the model. Beltway. Yeah, outside the Beltway in D.C., or in the Beltway in D.C., the freeway that runs that. around D.C. And ours is going to be that in 2025 because... Hold on. It's going to be $60 in 2025? Well, at the prices now, it could be as much as 45 Why? with good to go. Because starting in 2025, when the entire toll system from Linwood down to Puyallup becomes active, there are going to be three segments. Yikes. Linwood to Bellevue, Bellevue to Renton, Renton to Puyallup. And if you drove that entire corridor, you could possibly pay three max tolls. Though it's unlikely that you would hit a commuting time where all three would be at the max, but it could. They will be segmented starting in 2025. I can't imagine being desperate enough to... I can't imagine anything that I'm late for that would justify spending that much money. Going to the hospital? It would be sad that just to get to the hospital, you have to pay $45. Okay, good point. So... Let's stop. Let's stop being downers about this. Let's this have is some a fun, fun segment, isn't it? I thought this was a fun segment. Fun as the the government gouges you as you drive, right? So typically, Sully, give us your typical announcement of the ten dollar toll. Do 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 do. Okay, which is our favorite because it's so sad. Now, a lot of people love this. Brought my Montana State cowbell. We have the cowbell, which yeah. I like. It, everybody knows what it is. I'll do it off mic so it's not super jarring. Okay. And you guys can vote, by the way. So those of you who know our text line, the Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, 888-973-5476. Here are some of the alternative sounds we might use. We can do a simple cash register. Cha-ching. This is a classic. Price is right, Horns. Though, I don't know. Is that trademark? Can we use that? Probably, I don't know. Sticking with the game show sounds, the press your like luck whammy sound. Ooh, that's jarring. That sounds scary. We're no whammies. Big bucks. Big bucks. You, you recognize this one? <laughs> no, that's another really good one. This one, I don't know if many people will recognize this. Oh, I remember this one. This one makes my heart beat. It's too long. We it's can't. Son- use that well, you one. missed the part where Sonic drowns. Yeah, that's too long, though. We got. It's got to be fast and, and zippy. <laughs> that's a good one. And uh, this one, of course, Sully made us think of you. Yeah, the lacy DC. Yeah, ominous. Little, little hell's bells. Yeah, I'm still also thinking of. You know, so, the Pac-Man dying is a good one. Y'all can vote. If you like any of those, let us know on the text line, 888-973-5476, or offer an alternative. It's Kate's birthday. I didn't know you sang. <laughs> I I really, I'm really more of a spoken word lo- rap artist I love than it. singing. No, that was, that was a nice moment. Thank it you. is Kate Stone's birthday, and we want to say happy birthday to Thank one of our you. favorite reporters to Aww. have on Seattle's Morning News. That's so sweet. You're the best. What are you going to do for your birthday? <laughs> I'm going to age myself. I'm going to Fallout Boy. <laughs> 
the concert. They're back. I can age myself. I don't know what that is. They're in their 40s <laughs> now. The I, was, I was into the... Uh, there oh, were plenty. The Sugar were going down, the, 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 swinging. Is yeah. it that one? Yeah, there was a lot of slanted bangs. Yeah, it's in the, the emo band. In the, yeah, well, emo is a strong word. That's uh, a real emo we kid like would not think. We like pop punk, I think yeah, is what we would call it. Yeah, pop punk is closer. Yeah, yeah, a little edgier than Nickelback, okay. but not quite. Thank you, kids, for correcting yeah, me. So are you going okay. to do the whole bang swoop tonight? Or are you going to throw it back? I just grew out my bangs, so okay. I feel like I, I got I to gotta lean back from that. But I do have one of those spiky black bracelets yes. that I bought off Amazon just yes. to remind And, you know, the ripped black jeans just to oh. remind myself of, you, of a younger year. I love that. Yeah. yeah, you're like a superhero. You got a spiked bracelet Indeed. and ripped jeans by night. Indeed. But by day, you're in a pantsuit down in Olympia yeah. covering the legislature. If you're, if you're going to the concert, please don't acknowledge me in any way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure if our audience will be going to Fallout Boy, but uh, I'll be, be pleasantly surprised. surprised. Be surprised. So tell us, today we have one week left in the legislative session. Today is the cutoff day for a number of bills. It is. It is. Tell yes. us more. So there are some bills where this is pretty much the do or die moment. They, If they started in the Senate, they have to pass the House by today. If they started in the House, they have to pass the Senate by today. This isn't all bills. It's just a large number of bills. And so lawmakers are going to be pretty busy today. There are a few that are uh, are still causing some, let's say, debate among both sides, and uh, it could really come down to the wire uh, on on several of those. Senate Republican leader John Braun says he's particularly gearing up for a debate on a couple of measures that are still alive. One that would allow striking workers to access unemployment insurance and let everybody else pay for it. That's a fundamentally unfair bill. Yeah, so Republicans are pretty much against this. This would, uh, as you just heard, um, allow striking workers, like, for example, those that were involved in uh, the concrete strike mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, they would be eligible for unemployment benefits while on strike. Interesting. Yes. And then there is another bill. We've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, it would remove Puget Sound Energy's legal obligation to provide natural gas service. Republicans call this a natural gas ban. Puget Sound Energy has said, hey, even if it removes our obligation doesn't mean that we're going to just stop it tomorrow. But due to the state's climate laws, which are not just the Climate Commitment Act, we have to start moving towards electrification one way or the other. So this is going to be a gradual process. This helps us start moving towards that direction. Republicans um, say... I have a question. Yeah, Sorry. So PSC, you know, obviously Republicans are against this. Democrats right. are pushing for it because right. of the climate laws. Right. PSC typically not a, a political entity. No. It's a utility. Right. Are they just following along with the Democrats' program, or do you find that the utility is also saying, eh, maybe well, this is too soon? They're not taking a position on this. They're saying, look, natural gas service is important. No one is denying that. However, the lawmakers, the Democratic majority and the lawmakers, have passed multiple laws, not just the Climate Commitment Act, multiple laws that have said we need to cut our greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. And Puget Sound Energy says, this is a law. we got to figure out how to get there. This is a law that will sort of help us plan out how to get there by 2050. But that doesn't mean natural gas gets turned off tomorrow. However, Republicans are taking a slightly, uh, let's say, more fatalistic view of it. This is John Brown again. It's a big deal that's going to make Washington more expensive for regular Washingtonians who are already struggling. So... Obviously, they are not in favor of uh, basically the law is right now has been since 1911. Puget Sound Energy legally must provide natural gas service to customers who request it unless it's a danger to do so. This would 
remove that language. So today that bill needs to do what or it's dead? So that bill essentially needs to, not particularly that bill, but that's one of the issues that Republicans say they are really focusing on. But... It's 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 a it's a group of bills that need to pass the opposite house. So okay. if it started in the house, it's got to pass the Senate. Started in the Senate, has to pass the house. Now this doesn't apply to initiatives. So we've talked about the citizen initiatives like police pursuit. That doesn't apply to those. Anything related to the budget. And if the House and Senate versions of a bill don't match, they have a little more time to hammer out the changes. But essentially, a lot of things have to move forward. Another thing that that has really sort of kind of gone onto the radar is the fact that the long-term care tax, very controversial, uh, there's actually a big change that lawmakers passed, and it makes it portable. So right now, uh, if you you automatically pay out of your paycheck to the long-term care fund, if you leave the state, you lose the money. But lawmakers just passed a bill that would reverse that. If you leave the state, you can keep the money. Uh, but there are some conditions. And Republican Senator Curtis King says it's still way too complicated. You have to keep track of your hours and, and you have to send in a check for 0.58 of your salary. And you're going to do this until you stop working. So you got to do a lot of paperwork. So you, if you move out of state. state, but you're still expected to give to the long term care tax in right. Washington state. Right. I mean, you, uh, yeah. Yeah, you can't withdraw the money, move out of state, and go. That's sort of the argument uh, that the the, the uh, opposers are that people should be able to opt out of this. Well, yeah. you can if you have your own retirement savings plan. That uh, was the deal. The opt out date has since passed. Right. So at this was... point, no, you can't opt out. But there is a citizen initiative that would actually let people opt out at will. That is headed to the November ballot because lawmakers declined to hold a hearing on it. However, Democrat Steve Conway says people over age sixty five don't if they retire or move out of state. They don't have to do any of that paperwork. And also, this is this is this was designed and is a measure that they are hoping will help seniors who are spending themselves into poverty in their later years, which is a problem. It's the problem that they're trying to solve when they originally passed this. It's that group that retires and leaves the state that we're most concerned with. So they're essentially trying to, you know, fix some challenges that they see have arisen since the long-term care tax was passed. Okay. And the citizen initiative would allow people to opt out. And Democrats say that would just kill the whole program because too many people would just leave. Got it. We have about 30 seconds left. What right. else do our listeners need to know? Well, those initiatives that we just mentioned, those are expected to get a hearing next, or not a hearing, a vote next week. Okay. So those concern police pursuit, a prohibition on state income tax, and uh, what was the last? Oh, parental access to school records. And it appears that all three of them are going to get a vote. And Democrats have not confirmed that they're going to get a vote, but Republicans, optimistic, all three are going to pass. Which means they won't go on the November ballot. Correct. If they do not pass, they will go to the ballot. Correct. Got it. Kate, thank you for making sense of Olympia for us. You know, it's a tough job. Someone's got to do it. And happy birthday. Thank you. Now your daily dose of kindness. 
It's brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. An airline pilot is running a nonprofit to inspire students of color to pursue aviation careers. Cortland Savage was serving as a pilot in the U.S. Navy when he said he noticed a lack of diversity in the aviation industry. In 2018, after leaving the Navy and landing a job as a commercial airline pilot, Savage launched a nonprofit based in Charlotte, North Carolina called Fly for the Culture. The organization takes students on introductory flights to show them what pilot being a pilot is really like. I want to be a pilot. You want to be a pilot now? I thought you wanted to be a teacher. No. No. All right. That little voice is so cute. Savage spoke with ABC's Good Morning America. While serving as a pilot in the Navy, I noticed that I was one of the two African-Americans in the entire squadron. So I wanted to make a change. Uh, so I created this organization. I wanted to just showcase other African-Americans that are pilots. So sometimes I believe you got, with young people, you got to see it to believe it. And being able to see someone that looks like them. Uh, gives them the motivation of maybe pursue a career in, a, in aviation. Describing his motivation to launch the organization, Savage said he wanted young black kids to see aviation as a possibility for their future profession. Flopper the Culture is a nonprofit organization, and what we do is promote diversity and inclusion within the aviation industry. The way that we do that is reaching young people where they are through our social media networks on Instagram, Facebook, and even TikTok. Once we reach these young kids, uh, we are introduced them to a uh, flight, uh, what's called an introductory flight, and take them up for free uh, through the donations that we receive through the organizations. It's a quick 10 to 15 minute flight around the Charlotte, North Carolina area. And um, once we're done taking the flight, we stay connected through social media and help mentor them to pursue a career in becoming a pilot. I believe he's doing what Travis was just talking about, reaching out, learning, and doing better. Savage says he hopes young people look up to him as a young black pilot. 7.48 on Seattle's Morning News. And now joining us from the G and Ursula Show, Ursula Royteen. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Fresh Friday to all of you. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, peanut butter day. Peanut Are you a crunchy or day. creamy gal? I am not a big peanut butter gal, okay. but if I'm going to have peanut butter, it has to be smooth as butter. Butter. <laughs> <laughs> With a little bit of peanut flavor. fans out there. Uh, you're the big crunch I, fan? I do like crunchy. Yeah. yeah, I feel like it just adds a little Didn't it used to be called food. chunky? Chunky? I don't know. <laughs> and maybe I think that's when I was back in the day, it. yeah. I mean, <laughs> back in the day. It a brand thing. I yeah, think okay, some, you know, Smuckers might have called it Chunky. Okay. Jeff might yeah. have called it yeah. something. I was called and Chunky in high school, too. it's Women's History Month. Yes. And you wanted to talk, Travis's commentary caught your attention yes, this morning. Yes, it, it sure did. And I love it. And check it out at mynorthwest.com. Travis is a, a fantastic writer, first of all. <clears throat> but I love that he, he said that, uh, you know, it is March. It's Women's History Month. But we really should be paying more attention. And specifically what he has been doing is intentionally reading books and works by female authors. Mm -hmm. And uh, he points out that uh, if we start uh, doing that and and what he has done is is to be able to understand, you know, obviously a big segment, half of our population Mm -hmm. a a lot better. But uh, I love that he was so intentional about it. And, And his commentary got me thinking about how far we have progressed as women in this country and then the areas where we are still sorely lacking. Mm, so where have we progressed, in your opinion? Um, well, I, I think that we are seeing some more women in leadership positions, but 
we are still seeing a big gap in that area. And in fact, I, I looked it up. And so the U.S. Government Accountability Office says uh, 42% of managers were women. This was uh, as of 2021, so their latest data. But overall, women make up 47% of the workforce. Here's where we don't do so so well. Full-time female managers earned 71 cents for every dollar earned by full-time male managers. And every time we bring this up, there are always people, well, you know, you're not taking into the fact that there are women who leave. Shouldn't uh, matter. Exactly. Shouldn't matter. Exactly. So, and, and the pay gap varied considerably across different industries and racial and ethnic groups. So, for example, every dollar earned by white men on average, Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander women earned an estimated 49 cents. That's... Asian women earned an estimated 86 cents. And again, the pay gap was greater for female managers who, who were 40 years and older. Um, and here's another thing. So, again, and, and I love looking at our own company, for example. Oh, we think have, about how much female leadership we now have exactly. just in the last two, three years. Exactly. And as someone who's been here for over 35 years, what I've seen is, yeah, there is progress. But there's a part of me that says, dang, you know, why did it take so long? Well, think about just the on-air representation as well. It wasn't too long ago when we had all-male hosts. And, you know, for whatever reason, that's the way it played out. But somebody said, hey, wait a second. Oh, there was a very specific reason that I was told, and I know you've heard similar sentiments. I don't know if I know. Listeners don't want to hear two females. Oh, yes. I've been told that in my career, that we all sound the same, and so we can't have two women on the radio at the same time. Yeah. Okay. I know that was said to me by a manager. Oh no, something similar was said to me. Uh, not here. What? I want to be clear. A manager here did not say that to me. It was very early in my career that uh, that was said to me. Yeah, a manager who no longer is here said it to me. I, mean, yeah. I can't say I want, it was somewhere so else. That's what you're up against. It's not so much that we didn't work hard enough, that we took breaks because we had kids, that we our tenure isn't long enough, that we don't do the same job as our male counterparts. It simply is because of that kind of bias that holds women holds women back. Exactly, and. Uh, he, Here's something that there was a McKinsey study that I just looked at. And I just want to say again, thank you, Travis, because he started having me think about some of these other things like and again, I love that we've made progress, but let's not kid ourselves. We still have a long way to go. Uh, There are more women, according to a McKinsey study, more women leaders. They finally get to the upper echelon and then they're leaving. They're leaving um, at at the highest rate in years. Child care. That is one of the big things. Yeah. Exactly. And for every woman at the director level who gets promoted to that next level, two women directors are choosing to leave a company. So it's like, yeah, we're making some steps. But so, you know, to Travis's point, what is it that we can do to support more women? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think the important thing is to keep those because I feel comforted knowing that our market manager, Kathy Congiano, is here. And now Bonneville International has a female lead. They understand the intricacies of being a woman and being a working mother if you choose to be a mother. And so I feel we have a better chance of continuing our advanced careers, even though we're having children, even though we have a number of male colleagues. You know, I just to me, the trust is there, which is kind of a sad commentary on male managers, too. We have fantastic male managers here now, but there's something about a female taking over that made me go, okay, I can finally tell the truth. She will listen to me. She will understand. Yes, it, it, exactly. And that's how you make progress. So, uh, precisely, Colleen. Yeah. So here's my question, I guess, for all of you on this Friday morning. As we see a, a presidential race 
that, you know, the two front runners are men. Again, there is a woman still in the race. And frankly, I am very happy that Nikki Haley is, you know, even though her odds are long. She's still doing she's something. She's doing something. Um, but when in this, when will we be ready in this country to actually elect a female president? You want the what? texters to weigh in? I want the texters to weigh in. Text us 888-973-5476, 888-973-Cairo. Okay. And that'll be great fodder for your show <laughs> yes. as well. Yes. I did. When when we brought something similar, when we were talking to Michael Medved, who's going to be on later today, uh, there was one, at least one listener who said, I'm just not ready for a female president. Okay. <laughs> And you know Sounds what? Like I mean, a personal problem. Well, I mean, and, and, and again, but I don't know that that is something that is unique to that person. Yes. Hi, hi, Chris. I know. I've Chris got like is... 10 seconds left and I got a lot to get to. You don't have 10 seconds left. You uh, have one minute. Oh, there you go. go. Ursula, my queen, <laughs> historic woman of Cairo News Radio. We love you. Thank you. 8.14 on Seattle's Morning News. Coming up at 8.47, we're going to hear of all the best events happening around Seattle this weekend, including a up-close look at Comic-Con. But right now, we're joined by Republican Representative for Washington's 2nd District, J.T. Wilcox, who made a somewhat surprising announcement this week. And for full transparency, Wilcox Family Farms is an advertiser at Cairo News Radio. Thank you so much for joining us, Representative Wilcox. You announced this week... You're retiring or resigning. Do you want to clarify that? Well, uh, I, I don't even really feel like I'm retiring, but I'm uh, going to be done with the legislature at the end of this session, which, uh, excuse me, at the at the end of this term, which uh, will end uh, uh, at the very beginning of 2025. And what led you to that decision after uh, years in service? Well, 14 years, uh, 12 of those in senior leadership in my caucus. And, uh, you know, uh, I've had to process through that to, to really understand. I, I knew in my heart that that uh, it was time to go, uh, which I think is the most important choice that you make here. Uh, and uh, as I as I process through, I think uh, having been in uh, leadership all that time for, uh, you know, almost my whole career here, I've either been. Uh, floor leader for the House Republicans or caucus leader for the House Republicans and and involved in just about every contentious issue in a, a lot of special sessions uh, when uh, everyone else uh, was at home. I was here with the people that were arguing all the time <laughs> and also uh, a lot of painful things uh, having to do with members over the years. I feel like I've just got too much baggage at this point to be as enthusiastic as I used to be. And this is a, a unique job. Um, most jobs, you're there working for yourself. Um, in this job, if you're going to do it well, you got to be working for everybody else, especially in caucus leadership. And uh, I, like I said, I think I had sort of reached my capacity of being able to be effective, and my district deserves somebody that has that enthusiasm. Wow, painful moments, baggage. That Those are some pretty negative terms. Do you care to uh, explain what that means? Well, uh, besides being in leadership uh, most of this time, uh, I've also been in the minority all of this time. Mm. And uh, I think it especially uh, in my positions you're aware of the of the waste that we have here the fact that people uh, that have put in 20 years like Joel Kretz and uh, uh, Ed Orkett um, Joe Schmick 
uh, have been in the minority their whole time. Uh, and I think single party government is just is so corrosive. And to feel like uh, their talent, their ideas, the perspective that's very unique that they have uh, has uh, been so diminished by all that time, I think is one of the things that really, really weighs on me because, you know, I'm also responsible for uh, how we conduct elections. And uh, again, you you have to have a lot of enthusiasm for this job. Uh, <laughs> when you go out there knowing that uh, on every contentious vote, you're going to lose, but you owe it to uh, people in your district to put up the, the very best fight that you can. And at the same time, you... I think, have a responsibility to share with people this is not all about fighting, and it should not be performative. Uh, it should be uh, a lot of it about building friendships, building alliance, uh, doing things that uh, are effective but invisible to everybody else. Uh, those are things that I think, um, again, I, I've had a 14-year capacity to, to do that. You talk a lot about, you know, having a, a single party rule in Olympia. And we know plenty of this state is red. Plenty of this state identify as Republican or independent and would want your voice heard. But there has to be some ownership in that, too. You know, as far as are you covering the issues that matter to the majority of Washingtonians? We look at the current presidential race when it comes to IVF treatment, taking away reproductive rights, uh, you know, climate change issues. And it, it seems the Republican Party is not moving along those lines. And that's what's isolating a lot of people from voting Republican. You're making a fair criticism, and, and I'm I'm using government resources. I can't talk about elections right now, but um, in Washington state, I think the state has moved farther to the left. Many of the voters have moved uh, farther to the left. Uh, at the same time, I know very well that uh, the people that are in my caucus uh, represent their districts, which is their job. Uh, you know, you're elected to represent these 170,000 or so people that are in a defined geographical area, and and you can't just give up on them uh, because uh, you want to uh, win an election. So you you have these somewhat conflicting responsibilities. And, and I'll also say this: I've been in a lot of caucuses now, uh, seven different caucuses over 14 years, uh, and this is the most serious. Our House Republican caucus I have ever been in. We do not have performers. We have people that don't thirst for attention, don't hunger for, for uh, you know, giving speeches in front of cheering crowds. Mm -hmm. These are people that want to engage and make a difference in the state of Washington. And the truth is, uh, I think, uh, really, really reflect a broad cross-section of Washington. And it's true that they have a brand that has become unpopular uh, in swing districts in Washington. That that won't be forever, uh, but it's the place that we're at right now. You mentioned in your statement about your resignation that your colleagues are more interested in theatrics than in results. Is this uh, Democrats or are you talking about your Republican colleagues as well? Well, I think I made it very plain that there is some of that. And I also uh, made the point that uh, that's widespread in Washington, D.C., and, and maybe it's happening more here. I think one thing that happens, Colleen, is 
there is a huge demand for that, and uh, there are lots of rewards for people that uh, decide that they like the performance part of politics rather than the accomplishment uh, part of politics. It's something that we all have to fight. And I was recently asked, what would be your advice for people that uh, come into the legislature in the future? And the first thing I would say is do what I did. Quit watching uh, national news. Mm -hmm. And for God's sakes, be yourself rather than modeling yourself after the people that appear most, whether it's MSNBC or Fox or CNN or any of those, uh, those are generally performers. Not all of them, but the ones that show up the most are there because they're good performers. We don't need that in Washington. And the very best legislators are people, Republicans and Democrats, whose name you don't know because they get into the rooms, uh, talk with uh, regular people, uh, and talk with their colleagues. They don't burn bridges all the time. Uh, they are faithful and forthright in in defending the ideas of their uh, of their constituents. But they also understand that politics is the art of the possible, and they will not sacrifice the art of the possible for a performance art. You mentioned too that it's time for new and younger leadership to move in. Any promising young? potential legislators on your mind? Who would you like to give a shout out to? Maybe somebody we should pay attention to. Well, I think that might kind of lean over into electioneering on public resources. So uh, I, I you're so on I the up and up, that. Representative Wilcox. I appreciate <laughs> that about you. I you reflect how I sort of feel in the news business where I miss boring politicians. <laughs> No. Not these actor well, politicians. Boring. <laughs> Bring back boring no, politics. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us and for your 14 years in the legislature uh, and, and your transparency, just agreeing to an interview and coming on for a discussion again as a breath of fresh air from a lawmaker. So, uh, JT Wilcox, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much. I very much appreciated you and Dave. All right. Have a good uh, last week of the session. Okay. All right. <laughs> If you're still looking for weekend plans, Cairo News Radio's Paul Holden has you covered. This Friday, this Saturday, Sunday, what? This Friday, this Friday, Yes, that's right. It's Friday yet again. And my, oh my, is there plenty of things to do this weekend. Emerald City Comic Con is underway and tickets are still on sale for today and Sunday. There's plenty of convention programming going on throughout the day and night, including tonight, where the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, Tom Kenny, will be performing a live concert with his band at 8 o'clock. Check out EmeraldCityComicCon.com for tickets and the schedule. Brittany Davis is celebrating the release of their new album, Image Issues, at Easy Street Records in West Seattle tonight at 7. The show is free and open to all ages. If you're up for a bit of a drive to the Cascades, the Winthrop Balloon Roundup returns for the 27th time. The balloons will be taking off around 7 a.m. today, Saturday, and Sunday. The view of the balloons is free, but taking to the skies in one is not. You can learn more at WinthropWashington.com. In Coopville, the annual Penn Cove Muscle Festival is Saturday and Sunday. The festival says the weekend is all about celebrating all things bold, briny, and blue. There will be boat tours of the Penn Cove Muscle Farm, live music, a muscle eating contest, activities for kids, and more. If you got a seafood craving, no better spot to be than the Coopville Recreation Hall. 
It's the home opener for the Seattle Sounders and the March to the match returns on Saturday. Meet up with your fellow Sounders fans at Occidental Park and Pioneer Square an hour and a half before kickoff for live music and giveaways. About an hour before the game, the march down Occidental Avenue will start full of chants and cheers. Bring a friend and your Sounder gear to one of the best traditions in MLS. Sticking with sports, if you don't have a ticket to the Kraken Saturday matchup against the Oilers, you can watch it on the big screen at the Seattle Center Armory. The party starts two hours before puck drop with sign makings, floor hockey, live music from Red Alert, and more. You can also hit the ice yourself at the Kraken Community Iceplex and catch the game while working on your skating skills. On Sunday, it's the hot chocolate run at the Seattle Center. You can run either a 5, 10, or 15K, and when you reach the finish line, you can celebrate with your special mug overflowing with chocolate goodies. There's also an expo that is open to the public if you're looking for a sweet treat. Purple Rain. Son of the Tony. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack. If you're a fan of vinyl or physical media and supporting Northwest Harvest, the Northwest Record Show is a perfect event for you. From 10 to 3 at the Seattle Center Armory on Sunday, you can scour records, CDs, collectibles, and more. You never know what you might find. $3 will get you in the door. $2 if you bring a non-perishable food item. This just scratches the surface of what is happening this weekend in our area. If you need more information, check out my recap on MyNorthwest.com. Paul Holden, Kyra News Radio. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.